It was to be the most radical and ambitious reform in British farming for 30 years. Addressing the House of Commons in February 2004, Secretary of State for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs Margaret Beckett explained how things were going to change. Whereas previously farmers had been paid a subsidy under the EU's common agricultural policy based on what they produced, they would now simply be paid for how much land they farmed. The new system was introduced as fair, good for the environment and minimal on red tape. Delivery was to start within the heroic timetable of nine months, meaning Britain would be the first EU country to make the switch. Just one year later, it was with a heavy heart that the Secretary of State stood up in front of the National Farmers Union to announce that deeply disappointed was too mild. In fact, she was bloody livid. Instead of being fully underway by then, the transition to the new system had not even started. One year after that, when it should have been nearly complete, only 15% of the new funds had been dispersed. Delayed payments caused acute distress to farmers, and in some tragic cases, their suicides. While by 2012 the scheme had racked up £680 million of unforeseen costs, and fines of around £160 million from the EU for failing to disperse the money that farmers were owed. What had gone wrong was that the department was woefully unprepared for the scale of the transition, and part of this was down to the fact that it had no idea how many landholders there actually were. Now that any land capable of being farmed could be subsidised, the number of claims rocketed from 80,000 per year to 120,000. Anyone with an orchard or paddock could make a claim, regardless of whether they were actively growing or grazing anything on it. This increase seemed to come out of nowhere because there was no data on this type of land and, in any case, a lot of it wasn't registered. In 2005, there were 100,000 applications to register land compared with the usual 9,000. The civil service had a completely inaccurate expectation of what was coming down the pipeline. This was not a one-off. Governments keep getting things wrong because they use bad data, most of the time without even being aware that they're doing this. We've all heard of fake news, the deliberate spreading of misinformation, and know that statistics can be intentionally twisted or made up. But in the case we've just seen, the government wasn't duped by fake statistics. It was using its own official and trusted data, which turned out to be unreliable and inaccurate. This book is about that dangerous type of misinformation. What is data? Data simply means information, and in the context of this book, mainly refers to numerical data, information in accounted or measured form. Behind these solid numbers, there often lies a world of human decision, along with a great many assumptions and sometimes dubious calculation methods. And there are dangers to placing too much faith in a supposedly impartial, data-driven system. Though problems with data are universal and faced by anybody in the world who aims to count and measure things, this book deals with the British case. 
focusing on the use of data by UK governments and British politicians, the British media and the public. It explains how, when and where our governments have gone wrong with the data they use to make policy decisions. Because our decision-makers are accountable to us, they have to prove that the decisions they make are fair and in everyone's best interest. In the past, it may have been enough for governments to justify policies on the basis of because I say so. But modern governments, which are democratically elected and accountable, don't just do things on blind faith. They are expected, even required, to make the case for policies which are backed by hard evidence. And for that, they need accurate data on the people they govern. This might seem obvious, but it is only in the last century or so that serious attempts have been made to base public policy decisions on empirical evidence, rather than on anecdotes, hunches and pure beliefs. Data is essential to fair governance because it is supposed to be, in contrast to these things, neutral and objective.